we have already this morning considered ourselves in the light of three things described in Romans fifteen fourteen, goodness to the house of the Lord and the brethren and companions that are part of it, knowledge that we ought to have and admonishing one another. In this second assembly, I want us to ask ourselves if we're truly in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to ask ourselves, are we really saved? I want us to ask ourselves, when we meet Almighty God, is the Lord Jesus Christ going to own us as his own? Or is he going to turn from us and say, I never knew them? They're workers of iniquity. I shall not need long, but I want you to consider these things seriously because this it is the most sober question that you can possibly ask. Follow with me in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. There is a break after verse 7. The first seven verses are God sending his prophets to the nation of Israel and offering them the kingdom and joy of being the gospel kingdom of Jesus Christ. They refused it. He burned up their city. Beginning at verse 8, he took his apostles of Jesus Christ and sent them out into the highways of this world to find Gentiles so that the church of Jesus Christ could be filled with guests good and bad. <clears throat> then Jesus, then, then God is going to meet us in the great day of judgment and he's going to find those bad ones and he's going to say, friend, why don't you have a wedding garment on? And that wedding garment is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without it, we will be bound up and cast out. Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Thus far the Jews. Now the Gentiles. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen and amen. By the fact that you are sitting here this day, you have been called. By the fact that you are sitting here this day makes no proof 
of whether you have been chosen. Sitting in this church is no evidence of you having been chosen. Are you in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have on a wedding garment? Has God been looking at you from the foundation of the world as spotless in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you under His protection that when you stand before God, the Lord Jesus Christ will own you as His own and show from the book of life that your name is there? And will God see you in spotless, perfect, pure righteousness? The righteousness of Christ. We must ask ourselves today, based on what the Bible tells us to do, are we truly saved? We don't want to end up by God examining us, the king of this wedding to his son, and saying, friend, why didn't you wear a wedding garment into this? And he was speechless. And do you know how much you'll be able to say in that great day? Nothing. If you open your mouth and say, Lord, you will know while you're doing it that Matthew chapter 7 has already cut you off. Because there Jesus said, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord! And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This church, if it's like Matthew 22, has guests in it, good and bad. Are you the good or are you the bad? Father in heaven, I thank thee, Lord of heaven and earth, for the Lord Jesus Christ, And for the simple message I have right now. But I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will do what I cannot do. I can read your word and give the sense and cause it to be understood. But, oh Lord, you must do the great work of regeneration. You must do the great work of heart conversion, and you must grant the conviction that we will run to the Lord Jesus Christ this day and come to terms with Him before we come to His table, that we know that we are His and He is ours. Oh, Lord, help us all to the full assurance of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles this time to Second Corinthians. Chapter 5, I hope you read it last evening. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I read to you the terror of the Lord, verses 9 through 11. I read to you the effect that it had on the Apostle Paul, verses 12 through 16. I read to you the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ who reconciled his elect to God in verses 18 through 21, with verse 21 being another description of the wedding garment for the marriage of the king. Beginning at verse 9. Wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves, again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance, and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. 
For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Verses 9-11 through of the terror of the Lord, of the coming day of judgment. It says that we shall give an account of everything done in our bodies, whether it be good or bad. Are you good or bad? Are your lives good or bad? Verses 12 through 16 describe the Apostle Paul, who was said to be a madman because he was so zealous for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first part of verse 13, it is for whether we be beside ourselves. That man's beside himself. That man's crazy. If we're be beside ourselves, it's for God. Paul was serving the Lord. Or whether we be sober, not insane. It is for your cause. He was a faithful ambassador. And these are the faithful words of a faithful ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ who beseeches you in the person of God. He said the love of Christ is what constrained him. That means it put him in a straitjacket, in effect, and constrained him to only one way of living. And that way of living was to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And though we may have had relationships in the flesh of affection, and though we may have had other desires of a Messiah before he was converted, he no longer had any such desires, even of Christ, in verse 16. He only knew him as the Savior and the Judge described in this passage. Verses 18 through 21 describe reconciliation. Parties at enmity brought to peace. Jesus Christ coming between God and sinners, reconciling us to God. God being pleased and God accepting sinners by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's life on their behalf because He died for those that were doomed to death themselves. These are wonderful words. It tells us to wit in verse 19 of exactly what was taking place. This is the doctrine of imputation that God imputed the trespasses of His people to Christ and God imputed the righteousness of Christ to His people. Imputation is an accounting measure of the holy God of heaven, and He did it because God had made Him, in verse 21, the Lord Jesus Christ to be sin for us. He who had never sinned, God made Him sin and punished Him as a sinner in the place of His elect, that those elect might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The question that you and I must ask and answer from God's Word. Am I one of God's elect? Do I have on a wedding garment? Has God imputed to me the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Did God impute my sins to Jesus Christ? Or will I stand before Him in the great day of judgment and have to give an account of them myself? And have Jesus turn away from me. There being no name in the book of life for me. Let's just get right down to what the passage wants to teach. It's in the 17th verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, someone that has had his sins imputed to Christ, someone who has had Christ's righteousness imputed to him, someone who has on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, if there be any man in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It requires a changed life. It does not require church attendance. That is such a minor insignificant thing. It requires a changed life. And so I'm going to be asking you this day, before we come to the Lord's table, to come to terms with Him and what His ambassadors tell me to preach And that is, if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things from your past are gone. Old things from your nature are gone. Old things you've done in private are gone. And if they're not gone, and if you're not new, and if all things are not new, there is no evidence that you have on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is no evidence that the terror of the Lord will not fall upon you. There is no evidence that you are reconciled to God because the evidence is a changed life. What are you holding on to that's part of your warped personality? What are you holding on to out of your selfishness? What are you holding on to out of your love for this world? Your love of ease. You'd rather have your farm and merchandise. We make light of the things of the kingdom of heaven. God has been kind to us this day at this moment. He has sent the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul to write this passage of Scripture and convicted me over it that we need to ask ourselves, am I a new creature? I understand this verse to be practical. I do not understand this verse like a fatalist or an antinomian would understand it, that it is dealing with the legal or vital phases of salvation because Paul is not dealing with his legal standing in Christ or his vital standing in Christ, but rather his practical obedience to Christ, that he would he was constrained practically to live for Christ. Are you constrained to practically live for Christ? There is a moment coming that this world has been set up for, in which we shall stand before God, the judge of all, and give an account of our lives, and if we are not found in the Lord Jesus Christ, your worst nightmare, squared, will be the most pleasant picnic in comparison. And that is what the Bible teaches. Therefore, Paul's reasoning so logically, and it makes so much sense, based on the judgment of verses 9 through 11, we should be doing everything that we may be accepted of him. Look at that ninth verse. We should be doing everything that we can to be accepted of him. Everything we do should be measured by the fact, will God accept this as being good in his sight? And then it's Paul's own personal testimony given in verses 12 through 16 by the fact that it affected him so much it put a straight jacket upon him and constrained him to live for one cause, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He had no more relationships in the flesh. He didn't care about friendships. He didn't care about anything. He cared about serving the Lord Jesus Christ, that 16th verse. And he describes what wonderful things God has done for his elect in verses 18 through 21, and they are wonderful indeed, brethren, and we celebrate them today at the Lord's table. But before we come to the Lord's table, we need to examine ourselves, and I'm going to show you that we need to examine ourselves and ask whether we find ourselves in the 17th verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, a changed person. What foolish things of the flesh, your past, the private things that we don't get to see are you holding on to that you should flush? How do I tell you that there is a day coming that I cannot duplicate nor can I even describe that will be horrifying 
unless we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord Jesus Christ, he will reach out his hand and say, fear not. Your name is in the book of life. You're all mine. I died for you. My father is going to welcome you into heaven. And it's going to be horror for the rest. Heavenly Father, I can only read and give the sense. The Holy Spirit must give the conviction. Show us Christ. Let us run to Him by faith. Let us see the evidence in Your Word. Let us repent of our foolish sins. And let us find that full assurance and confidence that You want for Your children. But let us only find it Your way. Help us in these few minutes we have, that we shall humble ourselves before thee and that there might be some newer creatures that go out of this house because they were here this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please open your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 13. Second Corinthians chapter 13. Nowhere else from no one else will you get the warning advice. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves? How that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Let's hear the word of God in Paul again. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Amen. And amen. amen. It is an important part of our religion to examine ourselves due to the danger of self-deception and the wickedness of men. As we approach communion, examination is one of the two things required to properly take the Lord's Supper. First right. Corinthians chapter 11 says, But let a man examine himself. And we are to, to discern the Lord's body as we partake of the two elements. But it says... Let a man examine himself. Because if we don't examine ourselves, there were serious practical judgments to pay in the church at Corinth. Along with this warning here, that if we can't examine ourselves and prove our own selves, and examine and prove that Jesus Christ is in us and we in Him, then we're reprobates. Reprobate means to be rejected. Election means to be chosen. Reprobate means to not be chosen. That's a horrible difference. The difference is unexplainable. It's indescribable. But the Lord Jesus Christ has crossed that gulf for His elect. Let's examine ourselves and prove ourselves today. A new year deserves new examination. And the result should be some new conduct. It has been mentioned in a prayer earlier today that the Lord gives us days and months and years, and he understands how they ought to be used. Sufficient unto a day is the evil thereof. Those little pieces of time he gives us are for, are for reminders and for letting us start over again. Every year, Israel had the Day of Atonement. Every year, they had the Passover annually. And we get an annual reminder at the first of the year, and you're getting it right now, to examine yourself. No matter what kind of metaphors I tried to give you or illustrations I tried to paint to describe some bad thing that could or would or was bound to happen to you and to tell you what precautions you should take to avoid it, none of it compares to what I'm talking about right now. Our question, and the question is this, are you in Christ Jesus? Our question is not altered by the words of this verse, whether he's in us or we're in him, because it means the same thing. It means that we are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ 
And when God sees him, he sees us. And when God sees us, he sees him. And I, it doesn't matter because there are verses, and I am not going to waste your time with the nuances. I did put in the effort, and it's in my outline, but I do not want you distracted. I just don't want anyone doubting me right now about what this verse means. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. And what do you think in the faith is? It's the doctrine which is according to godliness, which is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's being in Him. And yet it says, Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you. In the very verse, we're told that either direction doesn't matter. And in John, in a number of places, we in Him, Him in us, it's the same thing. And I love it put that way. When God looks at Him, He sees His elect. When God looks at His elect, He sees Christ. Are you in Christ? Many think they're in Christ and will say so in the day of judgment, but they are deceived. Matthew chapter 7 says that. Men deceive themselves by merely faith or baptism or church membership or fleshly good works. They assume that they're in Christ by trusting in conditions or evidences that aren't from the Bible. They profess they are in Christ, they tell us. And if they hear it enough from themselves and others approve, they end up assuming it about themselves. They pretend they are in Christ. By showing a form of godliness, but without any power. The Apostle Paul himself would write to Hebrews in Hebrews 4.1 and say, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. I want to preach just like Paul. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. It's a matter that we should examine and prove with the utmost diligence and uncompromising zeal. When this verse tells us, examine yourselves, prove your own selves, that is serious imperative verbs for us to practice because it is about the most important issue in our lives. The day approaches when the divine answer key will yield results beyond your comprehension. And the divine answer key is the book of life. It will be opened. You know what it says in Revelation chapter 20? And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is the list of the wedding garments. Are you in Christ Jesus today? And if you're asking me already, how can I know that I'm in Christ Jesus? I've given you an answer already. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are become new. Is your life changed? And is your life changing And are you ready to go out of this place convicted by hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ to change your life yet more? It affected Paul that way, and it should affect us that way. He he said whether present or absent, whether with the Lord or here on earth, it doesn't matter. We labor that we may be accepted of Him. I've told you about the wedding garment from Matthew chapter 22. I hope that that helps 2 Corinthians 13.5 take on meaning to you. Friend, what are you doing here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You will have nothing to say before this judge. Before a school teacher or before a principal, a father, a pastor, or a judge of this world, men will make up all kinds of excuses for their conduct. There will be no excuses before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, that all things are naked and open before His eyes. And He discerns the thoughts and intents of our very hearts. It's important. The fate and future of all rational beings depends on their relationship to Jesus Christ. The angels are either the elect and holy angels, or they are the devil and His angels, and will be cast by the Lord Jesus Christ into a place prepared for them called the lake of fire all men whether they are in Christ will be taken into heaven and if they are not in Christ will be cast into that same lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels the importance of it can hardly be stated 
and properly understood. All spiritual blessings are in heavenly places in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you are outside all the spiritual blessings that are in him. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Does that sound good to you? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. All we need to do is examine and prove that we're in Christ. Because there is therefore now no condemnation. For as in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You're in the first Adam because you're sitting here and I can see you. Are you in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ? A man without the Lord Jesus Christ is none of his because he's a reprobate. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for his elect. But the gospel brings with it the warning advice, the kind counsel for you to examine yourselves and prove your own selves whether you're in Christ and Christ is in you. God has gone to great measures, fabulous, expensive, eternal efforts by God to redeem His elect from their sins. It is the, it is the transaction and it is the, the planned and decreed effort by God for which the universe exists is for God to save some men for the praise of His glory and grace through eternity. And before the world began, before He created Adam and Eve, before the foundation of the world was laid, He had chosen in Christ Jesus His Son by covenant that He would come and die for those that He gave the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ. Are you familiar with the words? According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. This little blue ball, as we see it from spacecraft, because it's 70% water, when we look back on it and see this blue ball hanging in space, it and the solar system and the universe around it exist for one reason. The glory of God in the salvation of, of His elect and the damnation of reprobates. Romans chapter 9 teaches us that. That He is the potter and we are the clay. And He has vessels of honor and He has vessels of wrath. And vessels of dishonor. The steps that God went to before the world began. And He had purposed the eternal life of His elect. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, According as He hath saved us and called us with a holy calling... Not according to our own works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus. It was given us where? In Christ Jesus. It was given to us when? Before the world began. This is the transaction of the universe. God created an angelic host. The devil and his angels fell. They are reserved in chains for the great day of judgment for eternal destruction. And they'll never be destroyed, if you rightly understand those words. The smoke of their torment will ascend up forever. And wicked men that have followed them will be cast into the lake of fire with them. God arranged, designed, planned, and executed all this by covenant before He made the heavens and the earth. When you open your Bibles to begin the year 2014, and you read, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, well, in the beginning, God did something before that. He set His affection on His elect. He purposed by covenant that Jesus Christ would come. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that Jesus Christ was foreordained You got it. Before the foundation of the world. But the issue is, are we one of God's elect? So, examine yourselves and prove your own selves. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be be made the righteousness of God in Him. The Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross and He saw His seed. He saw those that God had given Him. 
He said that he came into this world to lay down his life and to raise up again those that the Father had given him. The Son of God had to die to purchase the the wedding garment for us to wear to be in the presence of God. God had to design a virgin-born Son that was a God-man in the flesh to lay down His life cruelly, innocently, for our sins. And He did that. This is the transaction of the universe. This is why the universe exists. It is all for the glory of God. Everything in this universe is for the glory of God. And I'm asking every single one of you, I wish I could suspend time and go to each one of you and ask, are you a new creature in Christ or not? Show us. Show Him. Show yourselves. It says, prove your own selves. Whether Christ be in you. Because if He's not, you're reprobate. I'm so thankful for Romans 5.19 that says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Do you know when that second Adam was designed? Do you think it was after Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fell? You are so wrong. I thank our God that He has never responded to our foolishness in such a way, but His wisdom transcends our foolishness from beginning to end. This is what God has done for His elect. And what I, how I want to convey it to you right now is, this is what had to be done to get even one soul into heaven. God had to purpose before the world began, because known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. God doesn't operate in time like we do. So in order for anyone to be saved, God had already purposed to save them before the world began. And so we have that, what we call the eternal phase of salvation. But the least thing, the last thing that I want you to be thinking about are little descriptions and distinctions of columns on a piece of paper. I want you to be thinking, examine your own selves and prove your own selves whether you be in the faith and you are Jesus Christ. Are you in Christ Jesus? Will you be found in His wedding garment? Being in the Lord Jesus Christ includes the fact that God saw the wicked nature that we have that was so willing to be a part of this world and so willing to follow the devil, but He regenerated us and gave us a new spirit. He recreated us. Incredible. You know, the world spends so much time with birthdays. About the first day that we lived outside our mother's wombs and remembers it every year, and all that refers to is this existence. But there's another existence That if God didn't make this change, you'll never be in heaven. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter in to the kingdom of heaven. You can't even get there. Your nature is unfit for it. We have a nature that hates God and was a willing follower of the devil. But God regenerated us. Just like the wind blows, we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. And if God doesn't make that change in us, we'll never be a new creature. Look at what God has done for His elect from before the world to the cross of Christ to the power of regeneration by the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit says, Live! to a man. And all of a sudden, the things that He once hated, He now loves. And the things He once loved, He now hates. Though He has that schizophrenic conflict that goes on between the old man and the new man, He is a new creature and He He changes His life. They put down those things that held them captive. Being in the Lord Jesus Christ includes that vital relationship, and I'm so thankful that the Bible says, which were born, not of blood. Your parents can't have a thing to do with it. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. There's no godparents being involved. There's not you making a decision for Jesus, but of God, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you all understand what I am telling you from God through Christ to Paul to me? God, before the world began, chose 
whom He would save. He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay that legal price for them by taking their sins on Him and dying under their weight of guilt on the cross of Calvary. And then the power of God regenerating us, recreating us, quickening us into life in a different way, in a new way. All this is necessary to get a person into heaven. But are you one of those? And He's coming for us again. God designed before the world began that He would have bodies in heaven. Tabernacles that you read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in which our new spirits would be in new glorified spiritual bodies to inhabit the universe. The new heavens and the new earth with God forever. This is what God has planned. This is what God has done. This is what God has decreed. And He chose His elect that they would enjoy all these benefits from before the world began to when the world is a flaming fire and being melted with fervent heat. It's all of God. God has His elect. God has His children. Jesus Christ has His sheep. Are you in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I? Am I a vessel of wrath? That God's going to get His glory out of my existence? By punishing me for my sins? Or am I a vessel of honor where God's going to get His glory by showing that He punished Jesus Christ for me? We must examine ourselves. What is the proof of it? Pastor, what is the proof of it? God's purpose is only for some elect in Christ. How can you know if it includes you? I've given you the verse that I want you to remember the most. I want you to go home and if you want to reflect on this sermon of the prophet of your soul, you will remember 2 Corinthians 13.5 and you will remember 2 Corinthians 5.17. I want to make it simple for you. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Do people that knew you once look at you now and say, Behold, that person has changed. Eternal life is something you are to lay hold of, according to the Bible. You're supposed to lay hold of eternal life. You're supposed to reach out and grab it. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. I'll show it, I'll read it to you twice in one chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the first time it's about Timothy, the second time it's about the rich that Timothy would preach to during his life. 1 Timothy 6.12, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Remember how Paul knew that he had eternal life? At the end of his life, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called. Paul knew that he had ordained to save man and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. A good profession before many witnesses is a profession that is backed up by a changed life. And Timothy had that. Verse 19, Timothy is to teach the rich that, that by giving and being willing to distribute their goods and willing to communicate those things to others, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. This kind of terminology in the Bible shows us that our good works are the evidence of our eternal life. Our good works are the evidence of the wedding garment. Our good works are the evidence that we're in Christ. New things! The man who was once in love with his riches now wants to give them away. Can you think of a short little runt that proved his salvation that way? Zacchaeus, come down, for I must dine at your house today. And the crowd began to murmur because there were old things about that man that they all knew. And he said, and tur- he turned and said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, if I have wronged any man, I restore fourfold and I give half my goods to the poor right now. What did Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house. What do you need to do? What do I need to do? To show the evidence of salvation today. Look at Galatians chapter 3 with me. I do not want to distract you, but I want you to see how the Bible describes what I'm talking about. Are you in Christ? 
God chose his elect in Christ before the world began. They were put in Christ for his death on the cross. Their sins were given to him. His righteousness was given to them. Then they are regenerated so that they are in Christ by a living, vital relationship, and they shall be forever in the presence of the Lord, in Christ from beginning to end. Are you in Christ? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The first evidence we have is that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone is hearing this preaching, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It is the first foundational evidence that you are a child of God and one of God's elect, and it is the first way in which you lay hold of eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Next verse, Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Have you been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? That baptism not being something you did foolishly as a child when you really didn't know better. Not something you did because you wanted to please people in your life. Not because you were pressed into it at some emotional meeting. But because you loved the Lord Jesus Christ and were committed to burying your old man, the old things, under the water to rise in new things. You wanted to make that Symbolic representation of a changed life. That's what baptism is. We bury our sins. We're dead to sins. That old Jonathan Crosby is dead. I'm burying him. To rise in a resurrected life in new things. Third, the Bible teaches us this repeatedly. Your faith is only as good as the works that prove your faith. Adding to your faith... Virtue. In Second Peter chapter 1, adding to your virtue, knowledge, godliness, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, and charity. Eight things are listed there. And it says we're to take our faith and add to it this virtue. And add to virtue knowledge. And see, I preached about knowledge today. And add these things, and it says you're to give all diligence to doing that. Because that's how you make your election sure. That's how you lay hold on eternal life. That's how you examine yourself. And that's how you prove to your own self that you're in Christ. Fourth, we put on the new man in Christ's image to be like him. You're near Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3.10 says, And have put on the new man. These Colossians had done this. Their baptism is mentioned in verse 1. Their baptism is mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 12. These were baptized believers, and here's what they had done in addition to that. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us a new man that looks like Jesus Christ. We have someone inside us like Jesus Christ that wants to do the things that Christ did. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That's what you do. You put on that man that is like Christ. You say, what is, what is Jesus Christ like? I'm glad you asked. Because if you will look at verse 5, Colossians 3, 5, and run it all the way down to verse 17, you're going to find a list of how to act just like Jesus Christ. And then if you're a wife, and Jesus was never a wife, But if you want to find out how you should act as a wife, it's in verse 18. And if you want to find out how to act as a child, it's in verse 20. And if you're a father, it's verse 21 and so forth. It tells us how to put on that new man. And that's how we examine ourselves and prove ourselves. Fifth, we do what John 15.5 says. John 15.5 is worded this way. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So as we look in the mirror, because I don't want you thinking about anyone else in here, as we look in the mirror of God's word, do I bear much fruit? That much fruit 
is only a little part of it being other souls. That much fruit is what's called the fruit of the Spirit in the Bible. Do you practice Bible love toward everyone you should love? Are you the wife you should be? Are you the father you should be? Are you the church member you should be? That's the fruit. Because it's described in the Bible. This is what God wants our lives to bear. It's the fruit. And if we're in Christ, His strength, and if we remain in the vine, He is the vine, we're just little branches, and He is sustaining us because we're in Christ, we're in Him, He's in us, He's sustaining us, we can do things that measure up to the Bible's standard of a godly life. And it's how we examine ourselves and prove that we're in Christ. Do you have much fruit? doesn't matter what you think about yourself. doesn't matter about the world's standards of anything. It doesn't matter that you don't do drugs. None of that matters. What matters is, what does the Bible say? Do you have much fruit based on what the Bible says? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Those of you that are critical and harsh, are you growing and changing to love mercy? God made me this way. (laughs) The devil made you that way, and you're going to get to talk to him about it for all of eternity if you don't have a change in your life because there's no evidence that you're changed. Don't defend yourself. Humble yourself. Don't defend your sins. Repent of your sins. You know, I could make this list 150 points long or 2,000, depending on whatever you needed. I only have a few just to get your attention. Those of you that are known as critical and harsh, are you growing in love of mercy? Are things new? Behold. He's so merciful. Behold. Those of you that are known as moody and negative, Are you now joyfully content? Behold, we have examined and proven and found that all things are become new. Those of you that are foolish or impulsive, do you love wisdom and prudence? And do you show it in your life? Those that have let a marriage slide, will you restore first love by first works? Has nothing to do with your spouse. Marriage has never had anything to do with your spouse. It has to do with you. If you've let a marriage slide, those are the old things of this world. Those are the old things of the flesh. Make them all new things. Restore first love in your marriage by first works. Behold, let's have changed marriages. Behold, let's have changed attitudes. Behold, let's have more mercy toward one another. Those with sharp tongues, Will you fill this year with gentle words of health? Behold, what kind things come out of that person's mouth. I've never heard that person talk quite like that before. Those that have neglected the scriptures and prayer in your life, will this be a year of new zeal? Behold, my husband's reading the Bible every day. Blesses my heart. I catch him praying on his knees. Behold! We don't earn our way into heaven by the least degree of any of these or all of these combined. We get our way into heaven by the grace of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and His works for us, His finished works, and the power of the Holy Spirit. But these things are how we examine ourselves and prove ourselves. Those who have offered the blind and the lame in the past, you do not give your best efforts, your greatest efforts, your most enthusiastic, your most costly efforts to the Lord. You bring the lame and the blind, those you claim to believe, the same Jehovah God and Jesus Christ that we worship. May the year 2014 be exceeding magnifical in your life. Behold. All things are become new. What zeal. What revenge. What clearing of themselves. What evidence of eternal life. 
those who have things behind in which you may rest. I speak to the spiritual and strongest members of this assembly. Those who have things behind you that you have done, in which you have rested to this point is the evidence of your eternal life, will you be like the Apostle Paul and look at them and count them but dung and strive for that finish line to be first, not second. Philippians chapter 3, forgetting Paul didn't care what he'd accomplished in his life. He says, I've been apprehended to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have not yet apprehended that for which I was apprehended. I press forward for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and none of us in here can even come close to the shadow of the Apostle Paul. But he was not content, and so I exhort all of you, even those of you who have great works in the past, great works truly in the sight of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, Forgetting those things which are behind, 2014 is going to be a watershed year for our church, for your family, and for you. Is that true? Thank you, brother. Paul was a new creature, greatly moved by a combination of terror and love. We don't want to overemphasize either one. I love Second Corinthians chapter 5. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, for the love of Christ constraineth me. Oh, okay, Paul. That's how you put the two of them together. You wanted to be accepted of God, whether you're on the world or you're in the presence of Christ. And because Christ died for you, that means you were once doomed to death. And now that you're alive, because he died for you, then you're going to live for him. And that's how the Apostle Paul explains the effect of the gospel in his life. And it should be our thing as well, and how it explains our change. What old things should pass away today with the old year before the Lord's table. I've made it a little harder for all of you to take communion today. I hope you understand. But let a man examine himself. Are you holding on to anything that is old? Part of the old man. We're going to come to the Lord's table, and he said, but let a man examine himself. Let's let some things go away with the year 2013. Let's make 2014 new, and this is the best Lord's Supper we've ever had. You say, I haven't had time. It doesn't take time with the Lord. Jesus Christ already took the time. He took the time to come into this world and die on the cross. And all you have to do is say, God, forgive me through Jesus Christ. I want 2014 to be altogether new. Help me by your grace. Your sins are purged away in the practical stage and benefit of thanksgiving. What new things should become visible today with the new year after communion is over? What new things are you going to do today? I don't have anything new to do today. Your arrogance proves that you're on your way to hell. If the Apostle Paul heard the words, what new things are you going to do today? Paul would say, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, and I am pressing forward. I'm going to do everything better. Why can't you think the way Paul thinks? I hope you can. I hope you can. I don't want us to rest on anything. I don't want us to be defensive. I want us to humble ourselves before God and acknowledge that we can make some things new. And we can examine ourselves and prove ourselves to be in the faith. How thorough is the conforming of you to the image of God's Son? How much do you look like the Lord Jesus Christ? That is why you were predestinated. It's true you're a year older, but do you know what that means? if there hasn't been a change in, for righteousness, that you're closer to meeting the judge that I've described today. What say those around you? What say those who know you best? And of course, they won't tell you. But is there plenty of proof of Jesus? The cure is simple. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Repent of your sins and make all things new. Throw away, rip out, mortify, put to death. Tear away the idols in your heart. Tear, get the stumbling blocks of iniquity out of your life. Run to Christ with revenge and zeal. He'll forgive you all your sins. And lay hold of the pure things of Jesus Christ's life, of what the gospel describes as the straight and narrow way. It's the blessed way. It's the way in which we are in Him. And He's in us. Let's be like Zacchaeus. Let's look at ourselves and realize 
I have defrauded men. I have been stingy in Zacchaeus' case. Lord, if I've wronged any man fourfold, I give half my goods to the poor. Today salvation has come to this house. May that be true of us. Are you in the Lord Jesus Christ? Today, salvation should come for all of us in the sense that we should come clean and come to terms with Jesus Christ our King as we come to his table. Amen.